Welcome to the Landmark Church Weekly Podcast. If you got your Bibles, turn to John 17. So we had a baby dedication in the first service, so I've got to make sure my mind, I'm making sure I'm not missing something this service. John chapter 17. We're going to read one verse of Scripture. This morning I want to preach to you from this topic. How to evangelize without being weird. How to evangelize without being weird. Now let me say this as a preface. I'm in, I'm in, in my reading plan for the year. I'm in Ezekiel. And some of the things God told some of the Old Testament prophets to do were just straight weird. I'm not going to lie. I mean, just straight odd. Okay? So if God tells you to do something weird and you know it's the word of the Lord, please do that. But, what I, but today, today what I'm talking about is just how do we as just believers every single day evangelize. And I'll get to why that matters in a few moments. But just one verse of Scripture, John 17, 18. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. As you have sent me, I also have sent them. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for what you are challenging us and calling us to do. And Father, may we embody the gospel. May we fulfill everything you have for us. We thank you for this time together. We ask all these things in the mighty, holy, precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people together said, Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be weird, and you may be seated. I know that's just hard for some of you, but anyway. I was once standing outside of the, the parsonage of our old church over here off 3rd and Apache, and a carload of people pulls up in front, and they jump out with a mission. Now, there was somebody that later on told me they, they're the ones who did this. If you now go to our church, or if you're watching online, I'm not, we're not laughing at you, we're laughing with you today. But these people jump out of the car, I'm sitting there, and I'm in the front yard of the parsonage, right beside the church. I've got a, it's the summertime, I'm talking to my neighbors, I've got a t-shirt on and a pair of shorts, and maybe we might have been even playing basketball or something outside, but this man walks over and he's like, young man, do you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior? If you died right now, would you go to hell or heaven? And I'm like, yes, sir, I actually do. He's like, oh, that's great. I said, I hope I do too, because I'm the pastor of this church right here. <laughs> and now, maybe some pastors need to get saved. I'm not saying they don't, but anyway, I told him that. Everybody started laughing because he was trying to evangelize the pastor, okay? Uh, I got this clip this week, and it reminded me of this. Look at this. Listen. Excuse me, sir. <clears throat> Excuse me. Do you have time to talk about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Hey, don't run from the Lord. Where are you going? Sometimes that's what evangelism can feel like. It's like, you know, I'm running after somebody, I'm trying to chase them down. And so I'll be honest with you, when I preach on this, I know I'm not going to get the amens and the shouts and nobody's standing up getting excited. This is not those kind of messages. I get it. I'm going to preach and people are just going to look at me and stare at me. Some of you are going to go to sleep and snore and your, your spouse is going to elbow you. And then you may think of something later on. But I want you to stay awake. I believe this is something that is really good we need. It's not just a feel-good message. It's something we really need to hear. Here's the thing. Anytime God did anything throughout Scripture, He always sent a person to do that. In Psalm chapter 105, the Bible says he sent a man to them, before them, Joseph, who was shackled in fetters and chains. In other words, God knew what was going to happen and he sent Joseph. He sent a man. And, and Jesus is praying for us in John 17. And I love the book of John in general. 
But especially when Jesus is praying for us, he's not just praying for those disciples, he's praying for all of us that would believe. And, and, and if he's praying for me, I want to know what he's praying. What is Jesus praying to the Father for me? And here's what he says, Father, as you sent me into this world, so I am sending them. As you sent me, I'm sending... How did Jesus come? Listen, nothing wrong with bumper stickers, but Jesus didn't come as the bumper sticker that said, my boss is a Jewish carpenter, or honk if you love me, or something like that. Jesus didn't come as a bumper sticker. He didn't come as a Christian t-shirt that everybody's supposed to wear around. He didn't come as a chick track or a track. Some of you know what I mean by chick track. You remember those things. He didn't come as those things. Jesus came as a human being. John 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came as a person. He came and He put on flesh and He showed us what the Father was like. We'd always wondered. I mean, we've been served, people have been serving God for thousands of years, but they always wondered what would God be like if He was in the flesh? We talk about God, we believe in God, we can't see Him. So what if we could see God? How would He act? How would He react? And Jesus shows up and He says, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. I am God. And I am showing you what the Father's like. I have embodied the Gospel so I can show you what this is like. And Jesus said, Father, as you sent me, I'm sending them. Nothing wrong with bumper stickers or tracks or Christian t-shirts, but God does not send us to win the lost and to help build His kingdom by those things only. He sends us as human beings with flesh and blood so that we can live the Gospel and people can see us and see what God is doing doing in us and around us. Amen? I think the reason we have the problem with evangelism, we've, we've framed it the wrong way. We've thought of it the wrong way. We've made salvation, especially in churches. Now listen, I know in a few moments we're going to have a prayer and people are going to raise their hand and you're going to say, Pastor, you're going against what, what, I, what I'm saying, but I'm not. Here's, here's, here's the issue I have with, <clears throat> with some churches. They make salvation just this simple transactional thing and that's all it is. There's no discipleship, there's no, there's no helping people learn and grow. It's simply raise your hand, say a prayer, and you have this transaction. You say a prayer, you get to go to heaven one day when you die. And that's what we made it. And we've tried to make it so easy because we want more people in the door. So the easier we make it, the more people will come in. If we make it too difficult, people aren't going to want to show up. So we need all the entertainment we can get, all the smoke, all the lights, all the mirrors, so we can get everybody in the door. And then we're going to trick them into saying this prayer. And then, sorry, you're one of our numbers. You're saved, whether you want to be or not. Sorry about that. You've just had this transaction. But listen to me. I've said this about prayer, and it's true about salvation, that Christianity is not about just some transaction where I say a prayer and I get heaven one day. God wants to transform every aspect of your life. It's not transactional, it's transformational. And God wants to transform you, spirit, soul, and body, from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, on the inside and the outside. He wants to transform all of you. And so salvation and evangelism is not just getting people to say a prayer. It's about helping people understand that there's a Savior that loves them and they are called to give up everything to follow him and they are called to surrender their life to him and we are helping people find a new life where I'm not just saying a prayer I'm starting a journey when people say a prayer here it is the beginning of a journey of saying I have given my life to Jesus I've surrendered now I'm starting a journey of following him of learning to be embodied to embody the gospel and being shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ so that every part of my life listen this is what is different about Christianity Christianity and even some other religions, Christianity, God says, whenever you come to know me, I want to make you a new creation. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And now, what happens is your life has changed. So now, because of that, the way that you're a husband and a wife, and the way that you're an employee and an employer, and the way that you're a child, and the way that everything about your life changes till your entire worldview changes. So now, the gospel helps me realize that I want to change everything about my life. And the way I treat others, the way I treat my family, the way that I go to work, everything has changed because I have been transformed. I didn't make a little transformation transaction in heaven i have been transformed by the power of the holy spirit and the gospel amen so here's the thing i want you to see evangelism different today i've told you this before many of us see it as as fishing and we get that because jesus said follow me i'll make you fishers of men here's the interesting thing about that jesus didn't say that to all of his disciples how many disciples jesus have 12 okay at least those 12 that he called not a trick question sorry Every time I ask something, people are like, we're scared to answer because he's going to embarrass us. He had 12. Four of them, he looks at them and they're fishing. And he says, hey, I know you're fishing. Won't you follow me? Instead of fishing for fish, let's go catch people. And by catch people, I'll explain why this, this is going to be tricky in a moment. <clears throat> let's go and let's get, let's, let's get people instead of fish. He told four disciples that. Can you imagine going up to a tax collector and saying, let's go fish for people? And he's looking at you like, I don't even like to fish. I don't know how to fish. What are you talking about? Jesus was talking to people that would understand what he was saying. And he said, I want you to be fishers of people. Here's why that matters. Because when I fish, here's what I do. I'm not very good at it. And I like to do it. If you've got any farm ponds that, I, that me and my father-in-law can go pull a car into and go back there, please let me know because we'll be there this afternoon fishing. Um, we're always looking for that. Anyway, but when I go fishing and I have a hook and I, I fish with worms sometimes, I will find the biggest, juiciest worm in there. Some of y'all are grossed out already. I mean, I want the fattest, plumpest worm. And I'm going to get it on that hook, and I'm going to make it look good, and I'm going to dress it up where you can't see the hook. All you see is a T-bone steak right in front of you if you're a fish. And I'm going to throw it out there and say, here, fishy, fishy, fishy. That's why I don't catch many, because I say that while I'm doing it. I'm going to throw it out there. Here, fishy, fishy, fishy. And then, when that thing bites, a hold of that thing, I'm going to set the hook, I'm going to reel that thing in, and I just baited it and hooked it and got it in. And that's how we treat evangelism. If I can get somebody just to say a prayer, whether they mean it or not, I baited them, I've hooked them, now sorry, you're going to heaven whether you want to or not, because you took the bait. That's not what evangelism is. It's not me tricking people into salvation. Evangelism is not that. Here's the image I want you to see, and this is going to be very strange, especially for some of you guys, but I want you to see today that evangelism is more of the image of being a midwife. Here's what a midwife does. A midwife comes along a situation that is already in progress. There are already things happening, and a midwife comes alongside and births what is already taking place. And when evangelism, what is happening is we are helping birth what God is already doing in this person's life. God is the one that is doing it. God is the one that is at work. The Holy Spirit is the one working in them. And we, as midwives, come alongside and say, I'm going to help birth into the kingdom what God is already doing in you. I don't have to start it. I don't have to go over here and bait it and do all this stuff. I'm just coming alongside and helping. God's the one who's already been drawing them. God's the one who's already been at work in their life and we are coming alongside and helping that i love the chronicles of narnia and there's one in particular the silver chair is a story called the silver chair in this and there's a two people jill and eustace and she calls him scrub later on but 
in this moment, they are fighting, or they're, they're getting attacked by bullies. They're coming after them, and they're scared. They're in a boarding house, and these bullies are coming after them, and, and they're trying to do everything they can. They can't get away from them. They're trying to run away, and he begins to call out for Aslan. And if you read the story, you understand Aslan is a lion. He's the Christ figure in the story. And, and, they're, and he's screaming, Aslan, Aslan, Aslan. So Jill begins to do that, Aslan, Aslan, Aslan. And as they're screaming out, Aslan, they run to this door that's usually locked, and it opens up, and they, they, they get into Narnia, to Aslan's land. And some other things happen, falls off a cliff, different things happen, but eventually they meet Aslan. And when they meet him, Aslan looks at them, and he says, I'm so glad that you came for the task that I called you for. And the story says that Jill's confused. And she looks at him, and, and she doesn't want to say it out loud because she's scared. He's a lion. This is Aslan. She doesn't want to say the words out loud, but in her mind, she's confused. And Aslan can understand her, hearts and her, thought, her heart and her thoughts. And so he says, young woman, speak to me. What, what is going on? And she says this. She says, I'm confused. She said, you told us that you called us here for a task. But you weren't calling us. We were the ones calling out to you. We were screaming, Aslan, Aslan, Aslan. That doesn't make any sense. And here's the words that Aslan told her. He said, you would not have called to me unless I had been calling you. The Bible says that, God, that we love God because He first loved us. And if I accept Jesus, it's not because I'm the one calling out to Him. I do in that moment. But you realize He's been calling out to me for a lot longer. It's the Spirit that's been drawing me. It's the Spirit that's been speaking to my life and preparing me for that. And so what happens is in that moment, we are the midwife that is birthing what God's already been doing. He's already been calling them. And they can call out to Him because He has been calling them. And so we come alongside to birth into the kingdom what God has already been doing. Amen? Amen. That was kind of a weak amen, to be honest with you. Amen. Once again, I knew that today. I was prepared. How to evangelize without being weird. Four things. Number one, we build relationships. We build relationships. Now listen, let me say this to you. We don't build relationships. We're not like undercover cops that go into a drug sting so we can arrest somebody and get them thrown in jail. We're not like trying to build a relationship so eventually we can say, well, you want to get saved? Oops, sorry, I, I, I know you thought I was your friend, but really I just wanted you to get saved. That's not, we're not, we're not, we're not doing this undercover thing. We really build relationships because we care about these people. But our prayer is through this, they will see us live the gospel and they'll want what we've got, what God's done for us. So we build real and authentic relationships. Listen, we have learned this even over COVID with people just being at home so long and being uh, alone and being away from society that people are longing for relationship. I've told you before the reason Cheers was such a popular uh, TV show at one time because the tagline was where everybody knows your name. It's this idea. People, there's a longing side of us for relationship. And many times people just want to know that people around them care. And the truth is people don't know everything that you... that. that John Maxwell says it this way, people don't know how, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And when people realize you care for them and you matter, the problem is once again we try to bait people. When I was in college, we had a homeless ministry, or there was a homeless ministry in downtown Oklahoma City, and some of the college kids would go and we'd volunteer there. And it was my turn to give a devotion. And I was pretty scared. I mean, I, I've been preaching since I was 13, but still you're like in front of people you've never been in front of before. And 
Um, you know, I, I just didn't know what to expect. So I go to this church and their fellowship hall. They had like a cafeteria set up with hot food. And I stood right in front of it and all these people are in front of me, homeless, waiting for this meal. And behind me is hot food with steam coming up. And I'm sitting there talking to them about Jesus. You know, the truth is they could care less about what I was saying. They wanted that hot food. If I'd said, would you say a prayer? They're like, dude, I'll say anything to get that hot food. Like, and then we'd say, well, 10 people got saved tonight. No, 10 people said a prayer because they wanted the hot food right behind you. But what if instead we invited people and we got a plate and we sat down with them and we built a relationship and then we said, you know what? If you want to stick around, we're going to be talking about Jesus. You're welcome to hear what we have to say. You're welcome to stick around and listen, but we're going to give you food no matter what because we just care about your, your soul and your body and we just want you to be fed. What if, what if we build authentic, real relationships and we let people know we really care about you? By the way, we, we know Jesus loves you, but we care about you. We build these relationships and there's people all around us that are dying, going to hell, that do not know Jesus. And I believe we can build relationships with them. We can get to know them. I am the world's worst. I'll be honest. I'm the world's worst because when I get home, I, I focus on my family. I want to be able to see my wife and my son and focus on them. So I'm the world's worst of pulling in my garage and low down the garage and just staying inside all night long but you know what there's there's something to it my grandmother used to she was from Tulsa Oklahoma moved to Denver she was used to neighbors and everywhere she went and the last place she lived she was so upset because she said none of the neighbors are outside none of them will talk I want to go out there and talk to people nobody wants to talk anymore they want to be in their house and I want to be like you're right grandma I'll leave them alone you're scaring I didn't say that because the truth is, if you got to know my grandma, she was going to invite you over for fried chicken and fried okra, and you'd be glad, and peach cobbler, and you'd be glad you got to know my grandma if you did that. But the truth is this, if we will build real relationships with people, once again, not trying to bait them, but just saying, hey, I'm your friend, let's get to know each other, then in that moment, God can begin to work. And it leads to number two. Number two is, we pray for God to move on their hearts. Prayer is the key to all of this. I believe every single one of us should have a list of people that do not know God that we are praying and believing for them to know the Lord. And by the way, when you put their name on there, don't go tell them, your name's on my list, Saint, because you're not saved, okay? That's not going to work. Go put their name on a list, and every morning when you wake up, maybe it's on the way to school, you pull that out, or way to work, whatever it is, on the way to the job, on the way to take the kids to school, you pull that list out, and you pray over these names, and you say, Lord, begin to save them. And guess what happens? Once again, God is working behind the scenes. He's working in their hearts. He's softening their hearts. He's preparing them. He's calling them. He's getting the situation ready. So first, I am building relationships, and I'm praying over these people, and I'm praying, Holy Spirit, you do your work. You're the ones that convict them I don't have to convict them you convict them you came to convict the world of sin so Holy Spirit you convict these people you work in this situation and then I begin to pray and that prayer leads to number three I look for open doors not a crack in a door that I can shove my way in but for open doors here's what happens one day you're mowing your yard you've been praying for your neighbor and you've been building relationships <clears throat> you took them cookies and they moved into the neighborhood and you welcomed them over there and then now you're mowing your grass and they're mowing their grass. You've been talking and then all of a sudden you turn the lawnmower off. They turn the lawnmower off. You meet halfway between your yards and you begin to talk. And you've been praying for them, been getting to know them. And now they call you by name and they say, you know what? I've just been stressed out because of life. Life has been tough. It's been hard. I'm just stressed out. I don't know what I'm going to do. And in that moment, 
God has opened the door for you to be able to talk to them and share with them the gospel. God opened a door in that moment. You weren't trying to pry it open. You weren't shoving it open. You weren't being strange and weird and shoving it down their throat. You were simply believing, building relationships, praying over them, and then God opened the door. But here's the problem. If you're like most of us, myself included, I'm preaching to myself today, that we get so busy that we see our neighbors or whatever and we see the open door and you know what? We just walk by the open door because we're so busy and life we don't see the door God just opened for us to go through because we have blinders on we're, we're staring at other things or our phones and looking around listening to stuff and we don't pay attention to what is happening around us be aware of open doors that God is opening so that you can share the gospel and in the moment it, listen it may be a brief thing and by the way the gospel is not just about salvation I believe it's the same thing is true of, of healing of deliverance Maybe you're at Walmart and somebody says, will you pray for me? And instead of saying, when I get home, I'll do it, you stop right there and you pray for them because we believe God can heal at Walmart and cash saver and can do all of those things. By the way, he can sanctify you when you've got to stand in line a long time too. But maybe at a gas station, somebody presents the need, and in that moment, the door is opened for you to embody the gospel, the gospel of salvation, deliverance, healing, all of those things. And in that moment, the door has been opened. So first, you build relationships, you pray over them and the situation, and then you look for open doors. And when the door opens, number four, you be a witness of your story. Be a witness of your story. <clears throat> I've been, I'm, we're going through Galatians on Wednesday nights, and so some of you heard this before, but here's Paul who saw at this moment, and he is a Jew of Jews. I mean, he, he says this, I, I know the Word of God. He knew the Torah. He knew the God of the Old Testament that he had been following. And now he's on his way to kill Christians because Christianity had become a threat to Judaism, and so he's on his way as a terrorist to kill Christians. And on his way there, on the road to Damascus, the, the Lord appears to him, a light appears to him, and knocks him down and blinds him. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, I am Jesus. I'm the one you've been persecuting. And in that moment, Saul is blinded. And eventually, he shows up at the house of Ananias. And here's what happens, in that, here's what happens with Ananias. The, Acts chapter 15, verse 12. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. <clears throat> and at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will, and see the just one, and hear the voice of his mouth. And then look at what Ananias tells him. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard you will be a witness to all people to what you saw and what you heard if today you saw a car accident out here and then you go and sit in front of a judge here in McLean County to talk about to testify about what you see and you're sitting there and they, they ask you can you please tell us what you saw and you say I think OU is going to do great in the SEC you know what I like fried chicken better than baked chicken what if you began to just say all these random things? They would look at you and say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm okay if you think that. I think they're going to do terrible. I'm, I don't really think that. I'm just saying what the judge might say. But that's not what I ask you. I ask you, what did you see and what did you hear? 
And what scares people about evangelism is, well, if, if, if I add, tell somebody about Jesus, they're going to ask me for our five-point cardinal doctrines, and they're going to ask me about what is the hypostatic union of Christ, and what, which part of the Godhead was Jesus. And listen, there's nothing wrong with knowing those things. I think theology is great, and learning and growing and knowing all those things is good. But ultimately, what you need to know, first and foremost, is what you saw and what you heard. That Jesus changed my life. I don't know what He did for everybody else. I know what He did for me. I can't tell your story like you can tell your story and you can't tell my story like I can tell my story. I know what Jesus did for me. He changed me and he changed my life. This is what I saw and this is what I heard. I've shared this story a lot in the Bible. It's one of my favorites, but it's a man that Jesus heals and he's, he's blind. Jesus heals him on the Sabbath. Church folks get mad. The Pharisees get mad about it. Why are you healing on the Sabbath? Why is that happening? And then they go to the man. They're trying to trick, trick Jesus into getting in trouble. So they ask the man, who healed you? Which, no offense, I think it's funny, they're asking a blind man to be an eyewitness of what happened. I just find that funny. Like, he's like, I, really, I just heard this dude's voice. Like, you realize, I can't see, right? I couldn't see. And, I mean, they ask him, what happened? And they finally, they just keep pestering him. They go to his parents. I mean, they're, they're pestering Tell us Jesus did it so we can arrest Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. And the guy finally said, look, I don't know what happened. All I know is I once was blind, but now I can see. That's all I know. And that's what it means to evangelize. You don't have to tell every single story. You don't have to know all of the Bible. You need to know one thing. I once was lost and now I'm found. I once was blind and now I can see. I know what Jesus did for me. I had burdens. I had sin. I had all these things and God delivered me out of troubles, out of problems, out of addictions. God delivered me and He rescued me and He saved me. And I am telling my story about what God has done. That's what we're called to do. That's what it means to witness. It means to tell the story of what God has done. Look at what First Peter, the Apostle Peter says this, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks. You are reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense. Once again, there is nothing wrong with being an apologetics and being able to defend the gospel. I love that kind of stuff and I have no problem with it. But ultimately, when somebody asks you, what's the first defense you need? Is being able to say, what is my that I know my hope is not built in this world or the systems of this world. I know my hope is not based on what is going on around me or what the news tells me. My hope is not based on what my Facebook feed says or what my friends around me say. My hope is not built on any of these things. My hope is not built on activities and all this stuff. My hope is built on one thing, and that is Jesus Christ on the blood of the Lamb that has been slain for me. I've been saved. I've been changed. And that is what my hope is built. And always be ready to say, what is the hope? But we do it with meekness and fear. In other words, here's the problem. If you don't live this out every day, nobody's going to ask you what your hope is. If you're always negative and complaining and upset about everything and worried about life constantly, nobody's going to say, I don't know what you've got, but I want that so I can go to the hospital. Nobody's going to say that. But if you're living the gospel 
And in the middle of all this is happening around us, and we're thinking, man, the world, it seems like it's falling in. But we have the joy of the Lord. We have the peace of God that passes all human understanding. We're not living in worry and fear. We are, we are living in the joy the Lord has given us in that moment. We're not being naive. We're being joyful and hopeful and peaceful in the midst of all of this. And in that, people say, well, how can you act that way? And in that moment, the door has been opened. And you give them a defense. What is your hope? And my hope is built on Jesus Christ. That He is the one that has saved me. Always be ready to give that answer. Would the worship team join me? The Apostle Peter says to do it two ways. With meekness and fear. I told you this story before, but um, once again, I'm only 40 years old, so I only have so many stories I can share. So I have to keep sharing my own stories if I want personal stories. I've told you before that I was looking for a job once and answered something for a marketing job. So I'm thinking, oh, that's cool, I like marketing, I'll be good at this. So I show up and I'm dressed up and they're like, there's tons of people there, nice office suite in Oklahoma City, so it seemed pretty legit. So I thought, I'll give it a chance. So they talk to us and they say, well, we want you to go out with some of our guys and see what we do. Now, all these years later, I probably wouldn't do this, but I left my car there, got in a car with three dudes I didn't know to see what they did. So we show up at a neighborhood, and they're like, we're going to go in here, and we're going to knock on doors. Like, what are we selling? What are we doing? We're going door to door trying to get people to buy Pizza Hut coupons. Like $20 worth of Pizza Hut coupons. And if you sell so many, it was a pyramid scheme. You sell so many of them, you get other people to do it, all this stuff. So we show up, we knock on the door, and you know, this is how they, they train you to do this. Ma'am, do you love pizza? Yes, I do. What's your favorite pizza? Fazio. Well, listen, if you had a Pizza Hut coupon, would you use it? Yes, I probably would. Well, good, I got $20 worth of Pizza Hut coupons for you right here. And if you'll just buy these today, ma'am, you can have all the pizza that you want. It is worth $60, but today, for the one entry price of $20, you can have pizza. That's what they try to teach you to do. We're walking around and they said, you've got to know these five things of how to do this if you're going to have this job. About half, we spent hours. It was literally April and it started snowing. The Lord was trying to show me, you dummy, what are you doing? There's, a, there's snow in April. I mean, it's like there's apocalyptic things happening. Get out of there. But my car, I was not in my car, so I couldn't leave. They said, you got to know these five things if you want this job. Finally, about the third time he tries to tell me, I'm like, bud, I'm not going to take this job. Quit trying to tell me. I can care less about your five things. I'm just stuck with you, and I'm going to go home at the end of the day. I'm not taking this job. But that's how we made evangelism. We, if we can trick people into it, then we'll get our foot in the door, we'll bait them, we'll hook them, and then after a while we try that, we get people fired up, we have all these classes on how to go out and do it. Get people fired up and they go out and they get rejected and they're scared. and They, they never want to do it. And once again, 95% of Christians never leave one person to Jesus. But I think if we will change our mentality today, that, you know what? My mission in life is to go out and to live the gospel everywhere I go. And there are people right around me, maybe across the desk from me, maybe at school, maybe, at my, maybe in, my, in my household, that do not know the Lord. And I can do it, but I do it in meekness and in fear. Listen, when you realize you are representing, you are an ambassador for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that should put holy fear inside of you. 
that, that my words matter because I'm representing Jesus. And I get to go and I get to talk for Jesus. And I get to say, hey, this guy loves you. I know, he changed me. I wasn't worthy, but he changed me. I had nothing and he came and he delivered me and he set me free. He brought me out of the miry clay. I Listen, he can do the same thing for you. And in that moment, we embody the gospel with meekness and fear, teaching people what is the hope that we have. And today, there's hope for you. Maybe you accepted Jesus, but you've walked away. And today, Jesus is saying, I love you. I care about you. Come home. You're mine. Today, I want to I transform you. I don't want just a transaction. I want to transform every bit of you until you've been transformed by the power of the gospel. Will you stand up? This podcast is now over. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future messages.